And it's time for the Friday panel. Joining us this morning is Fianna Fáil Councillor Donald Gilroy and local businessman Blaine Gaffney. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. I think we should begin this morning with uh, the scandal uh, that's hit RT over the past 24 hours. And if you've been living under a rock, in uh, a disclosure that raised questions about the salaries of uh, top presenters, RT revealed that Ryan Tuberty received €345,000 in hidden payments between 2017 and the start of this year. Um, I might go to you first, uh, Donal, about your reaction to that. It's it's not good. It's it's you, it's yours and, and my money, really. Yeah, you know, we're all being told that we're getting value for our TV licence and that we're looking for more money for uh, an increase in the TV licence. Um, I think they can forget about that now. That's definitely going to be off the board. But I, I honestly don't believe anybody in RTE is worth more than a quarter of a million. I really don't think there's anyone who's 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 worth more than five thousand euros a week, which is an, a huge amount of money. Now these guys are being paid multiples of that, and there's a string of them in RTE. There's about ten or twelve of them that are on three hundred thousand or more, and you know they're saying, "Oh, they'd leave us." Where would they go? I don't think Ocean FM is going to be paying them a quarter of a million or four hundred thousand. Um, I don't think the BBC want them. Um, I think it's disgraceful that, that that basically they lied to our national par- parliament and they lied to the Irish people. And if Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael or Sinn Féin was making a behind-the-scenes payment to the leader or any member of the party or a staff member, they would be all over it. There'd be a crime, a prime time investigates and all the rest into it. But when it's them, it's a different story. So I think they've they've let your profession down badly by the way they've behaved. Yeah, Blaine, a serious uh, breach of trust with, with the public over this. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite concerning that such a large amount of money can be just lost for a number of years and, and then found by an internal audit. I think this probably has uh, a lot to do with Ryan's departure from RT from, from the Late Late Show. I know he's off the radio today. Um, I actually don't think Ryan Ryan Tuberty has done too much wrong in this. You know, he he himself believes he's worth a certain amount of money. He probably could have got this uh, in the UK or or, or or internationally. What I have a major concern about, and, and we just touched on it there, is is how RT can come be before the Oireachtas Committee and mislead the Oireachtas mislead the, the politicians before that Oireachtas Committee and mislead the Irish people on, on the, the going-ons in RT. And I just asked a question here this morning. Where's the book going to stop with this one? Who's going to take the blame for this? This is taxpayers' money to the tune of 500,000 euros. You know, what services could have been provided with that? What funding or what benefits could have come from that funding? Um, it's not good enough. It's it's something that needs to be answered. And I look forward to the uh, the leader of RT coming in and, and trying, to, trying to explain this one. But I'm just so, you know, sh- shocked about the whole thing. You're, you're shaking your head thinking, how does that amount of money go missing for so long and then just get found hidden quietly uh, in, a, in a routine audit? It, it doesn't make sense. Um, one can only imagine that it will, Donal, have serious implications for the state broadcaster. Like, it goes beyond this, this immediate embarrassment, really, doesn't it? It does, you know, and it does go right to the top. And I think, you know, the timing of it and everything, that I think it's the 9th of July, D Forbes' contract ends. Mm. Um, I think the board should, if she had knowledge of this, um, the board should take action on it beforehand. And uh, I, I just, you know, 
look, and I'm not going to try them. I don't believe in. Yeah. I, I don't believe in <coughs> trial by media. Um, I don't think it's right for anyone. Um, but something was badly done wrong here, and they need to come in and they need to. Yeah, the, whole it was lot. the way it was structured, it was a payment, a top-up payment mm-hmm. that was in its first year was to be paid by a commercial sponsor who didn't follow up uh, for the previous years. So Owen, basically he was signed to that contract with RT and because they couldn't get a replacement commercially for that 70000 for the year, they had to change and pay it, pay it themselves. Um, that's not a good way to do business. You know, we'll, we'll sign up for a five or ten year contract uh, and only ensure that we have enough funding for the additional funding for a year. It doesn't make sense. But I, again, I, I have some concerns around how this is going to be explained. We've seen it one year with the Oireachtas printer and every politician was labelled as being a, a disgrace and all up there in the doll about the Oireachtas printer when the civil servant who ordered that, you know, was never held accountable. Nobody ever got in trouble and uh, a million euros of staff or of, of the taxpayers' money was gone. So, again, as a taxpayer, as somebody who likes to stand up for the taxpayer, I want answers. I want to know how that happened and how it won't happen again. And most importantly, who's going to be held accountable for this mistake? Because the book has to stop somewhere. Yeah, ultimately, somebody will have to be held accountable over this, Donal. Yeah, yeah, they will. And look, it 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 it, it will play out. And I think there's a lot more to come out on this uh, from what I'm reading and hearing. There is more to come, and uh, I think we'll be we'll all be watching carefully for the next for the next while. Um, Fiona and Sheehan seem to have a good a good grasp on it this morning on Morning Ireland, and he seemed to be suggesting that there was more to come. <laughs> Do you think playing the likes of Ryan Tuberty and other top paid presenters at RT, do you think they're worth the money? Uh, I personally don't. Not um, not in a country like Ireland. Uh, not with the the vast majority of the funding coming from uh, taxpayers. I, I don't think, uh, you know, 500,000 euro salary is warranted. I, I wouldn't sit and watch Ryan Tuberty. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who do enjoy the Late, late Show, but me personally, I, do, I just wouldn't really be that gone in it. Um, so I, I actually see that th- these types of salaries and I suppose legacy uh, broadcasters are actually holding up young talent coming through. Um, and that's not good for the system. We can't have a situation where we just spoke to all outside, you know, these people coming back in for big shows and, and, and holding up uh, emerging talent. So I'd much prefer or much uh, like to see younger people coming through, a lot lower salaries and some of that money in RT going for, I suppose, maybe better public service broadcasting, better coverage of elections possibly. That's also only my own favour. Um, somebody text in, will he pay it back? I don't think so. Don't know. Well, you know, I think as, as Blaine says, he didn't do anything wrong. It was somebody in a senior management position in RTE appears to have decided to get involved in very creative accounting. Yeah. Uh, they decided to... That's a nice way to put it. It's a nice way to put it, but um, it, has a crime been committed? I don't know. Mm. And so I'm not going to, to, to try anybody. It's not We're not no. a kangaroo court, but it does have to be a full investigation into it. And people at, at the higher echelons in RTE, in management especially, and, you know, to hear some of the RTE staff being interviewed going into work and the pay cuts and things like that that they had to cut do because times were so hard and all the rest. And to hear that a deal like this can be done for one person, it's just not on. Okay, we'll move on to a previous conversation we had this morning on the cost of hotel accommodation in Dublin. A thousand euro being quoted to stay in a hotel in the capital for the Taylor Swift gigs next year. It's not really doing much for our reputation, is it? 
Probably not. Um, I, I, I went on to one of the websites this morning while I was listening to you. And um, in fact, the, the weekend before the Taylor Swift concert, the same hotel is at the same price. For the previous Saturday night, it's €999. Euros. Mm. The cheapest you can get in Dublin for a hotel that night on the previous Saturday is 165 On the night of the concert, there is still hotel rooms available at 215 Now, maybe they're not the best hotel, but, yeah. do you know, like, we have fine hotels here around Sligo, but... Um, you know, I'm sure Ashford Castle charges an awful lot more. So if you're going for the very dearest hotel in any area, you're going to find um, very high prices. Um, the best service available, Fury's buses. I went to Bruce Springsteen recently. I was on the bus within five minutes of coming out the gate of the RDS and we were ferried home. I slept most of the way home and I was back in my own bed at about half one in the morning. Mm. Um you pay for a hotel, you get into it at close to midnight. If you go for a drink or something like that after the concert, you get in. Yeah, you're up in the morning at eight o'clock and gone again. You don't get to use the leisure centre. You don't get to use the fancy restaurant. Mm. You don't have any of these things. It's not good. And there's a Sligo company, Furies, offering uh, Irish concert travel. And they're doing that um, for, for the last number of years. And it's absolutely fantastic service what they do. The drivers are very professional and I think that's what people should do and get back to their own bed. I know, but there are obviously are people who would like to make, you know, a weekend of it up in the capital and it's too bad that they're priced out of it. Blaine, as a local businessman, do you know, is that is that kind of uh, those stories coming from Dublin, um, do you think they will have a knock-on effect in tourism here in the Northwest? People abroad looking and saying, well, rip off Ireland, I'm not going to go there. Yeah, well, I suppose... <clears throat> That's two two big issues, I suppose. One, the the, the hotel uh, situation around the Taylor Swift concert, um, it's it's not a unique occurrence. I work uh, remotely for a company in Dublin, and trying to get a night, even Tuesday or Wednesday, in Dublin for below two hundred quid, it's just not possible. So if you're adding two nights in to every week or in every two weeks, you just can't afford to to be above in Dublin. It's it's just, it's just ridiculous. Um, if you're bringing it back to the overall uh, view of tourists and, and, and rip-off Ireland, there's no marketing uh, campaign from Falch Ireland in the world that's going to be able to undo the damage that word of mouth is doing uh, to, to Ireland Inc. as such. And basically, tourists are coming in here. They're being ripped off. We know there's a shortage of accommodation due to, obviously, the refugee crisis and the, home, the housing crisis. But there's also liberties being taken um, by Hotelier Group. And not all hotels, let's just be clear, there's a number of hotels. You would nearly say the vast majority of hotels that are acting responsibly. Yeah. It's the ones that are gouging, it's the ones that are screwing the people over that really need to be looked at. It's a free market. What do you do? Somebody yeah. has a business and they want to put up their, their, their prices at times when they know they can, they can screw people. They're going to do it. Um, but it is having untold damage on our international reputation. And that ultimately will, will come back in you know, the next number of years and hit those same people when the people stop stop arriving. Do you think it needs to be regulated? Obviously, there's lots from what I've been reading. There's a lot of loopholes and, you know, red tape around it. But it's something that may be looked at next week when the Cabinet meet with the industry. Yeah, but look, you, let's call a spade a spade as well. <clears throat> cabinet tried to address the issues with short-term letting. They overstepped, in my view, their mark. Um and got involved in a constitutional crisis around the property and uh, property ownership rights within the constitution. We're living in a free market. 
you can do do what you want with your property. You can charge what you want with your property. It's it's just it's not for the greater good. It's 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 so short sighted that it needs to be continually called out. But but I don't think you can regulate. And I actually wouldn't be in favour of regulating because you you open up the the doors to unintended consequences, which we've seen when they tried to address the short term letting issue um, and the abuse that went on there. Um, what do you do when you do you have to go up to Dublin Bay and do you just drive up and down because it's yeah, just too it's, expensive? It, there's there's nights you get lucky. Um I just have a policy in my house I won't pay more than 180 hours for a room in Dublin I just won't do it so that might mean that you have to build your your meetings around your availability to be in Dublin or it'll mean that you're up at half five to to be in Dublin for nine o'clock to clear the traffic at Minute and at uh, Punchestown so it's it's not ideal um it's not it's not a nice situation but but it is the situation we're in there's a massive shortage of hotel accommodation uh, due to the situation with the, re- the refugee crisis and the, the arrival of tourists so you just got to do it okay um we'll move on to that near tragedy at strand hill um we've been talking about it over the last couple of days it happened on wednesday afternoon four teenagers rescued we heard from uh, roger sweeney this morning deputy ceo of of uh, water safety ireland <coughs> Uh, Donal, um, Councillor Donal Gilroy, as a a councillor here in Sligo, um, obviously you've you you know you're not you know that there's been numerous near misses um, in that area. Um, he was of the opinion that the idea of putting lifeguards on that beach isn't a runner. What's what's your view? as it relates to that? I'm inclined to agree with them um, and I do see the reason why people want a lifeguard. There is going to be a, a beach warden, I believe, starting there um, some of these days. Uh, the, the the appointment, we were told, had been had been um, a person had been secured first. They were get going through the formalities of guard, the vetting and all that sort of thing, which, which every employee has to go through. Um, but the warden will just be telling people not to swim, advising people about safety and things like that. I've seen lifeguards on beaches telling people not to be using inflatables and they continue to use them. They they will ignore lifeguards and it, it is dreadful that they do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the signs are there. I, I, but I, is there enough of them? I believe there is. I don't think anybody got into that water without seeing the sign. If they didn't see that sign, then they didn't see the pedestrian crossing when they drove through it. They didn't see the disabled parking space. They didn't, you know, you, you just have to kind of say, where, where does it stop? Um, and... Uh, you know, I've I, I, I've been caught in a riptide myself. I know what it's like. I got caught April of last year. I got caught in a riptide at a location where I've been swimming all my life. And I would have said there are no riptides there. And there was one. And it caught me. And what was it? What? Tell, I, us, I, tell us how, how yeah, well, you felt. I was, I was swimming with a group of about eight others. Mm. And I just was doing a few strokes. And I just said I'd go past the waves, go out slightly past where the waves were breaking so that I could swim. And I was just swimming along and next thing I was just being sucked. I was, you, you might say it's a good place to be going to. I was heading for Donegal <laughs> and I was moving very, very fast out in the water. And I was in about 15 to 20 foot of water and I was <coughs> really, really scared. I said an act of contrition. I was sure my number was mm-hmm. gone. I went under three times oh my God. and I was sure that this was my turn. I relaxed for a minute when I realised I couldn't I tried fighting at first and then I relaxed and I swam at 90 degrees and that's very important for anybody getting into the water to know if you're caught in a riptide 
swim at 90 degrees to the tide, in other words, perpendicular to the beach, and you will come out of it. So after about 10 or 15 strokes, I came out of it, and then I was able to turn towards the beach. Um, I thought... Uh, Roger, I think you said his name was, that mm-hmm. was on this morning, was absolutely brilliant. He was on the mark. If the council, the, the council are getting a new uh, safety audit done on it, and that is vitally important, I don't think it has changed. And I thought it was very good today that he mentioned the three lads, Bobby, Michael and Tommy from Gurchin, who, who lost yeah. their lives there 20 years ago. And, you know, when we were discussing this in the council, every one of us is, is conscious that, that our colleague Paul Taylor is sitting there beside yeah. us who lost his brother Bobby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is a very emotive issue for all of us and none of us want to see anybody. But you know what? There's signs on the M50 that you can't go out walking or you can't go out on, on e-scooters or whatever and people are doing it. You know, we had a tragedy here in Sligo last week and, and I, I'm not getting into the cause of that, but somebody was on the railway line. Their signs don't go on the railway line. We all know you see them. Um, but for some reason, people think it's a good idea to do these things. These signs are not there to spoil people's fun. These signs are there for a reason. It is not safe to swim. And it's very hard for people who, who are not surfers. And I'm not, I'm not a surfer. My balance wouldn't be good enough to stay up on a surfboard. People who are not surfers don't understand. How come it's safe for them to be out there surfing? They have a flotation yeah. device with them. Yeah, I think that I think that's a really important yeah. issue, Donald, because um, naturally, if you go to Strand Hill, you know, and you're maybe not from the area <coughs> and you're not familiar <coughs> with how dangerous it is for swimmers, you see uh, surfers in the water and you automatically think, well, sure, it's grand. I'll, I'll jump in myself, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and it, it, it is. And, you know, we were... I felt very conflicted when we were going through the, the, the provision of the funding for the, the new surf centre that's opening out there next week. And, you know, I, I have to say at the time I was concerned, I said, gosh, if this puts more people into the water, is it going to encourage people to be swimming there? Mm. And <coughs> realistically, if you put up a sign that there's a lifeguard on duty, you are saying that it is a beach that swimming is suitable. It is never, ever, ever suitable to swim at Strand Hill. You, even if you have a flotation device, I swim with a toe float. Since I had that uh, incident last year, I always wear a toe float. Even on a calm day, I left the toe float on me. There was another friend that was in that group that got caught by one a couple of weeks later. And uh, literally, she caught on to me as she was being sucked past me. And uh, it, it uh, and the two of us are the two that will always have the toe floats on every morning. And you're a seasoned swimmer, Donald Blaine. Would you be a seasoned swimmer? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, can I suppose, I'm living in Strandhill, I know some of the people that were involved in, in the rescue, and can I just start off by, I suppose, commending the bravery of the three people who went into the water mm-hmm. on, on that morning. Um, David Mulcahy, Michael Cavanagh and Antonio. Um, I think there there needs to be some sort of recognition for themselves over the next couple of weeks, be it a bravery award or be it some sort of uh, commemoration, maybe even a council level, Donald might be one for you to take back, um, because they literally saved lives uh, that day. And this is just one story of a number of stories where this has happened in Strandhill. Um, it's, we got lucky. Um, it's going to happen again. It's only a matter of time. And I think the council... I know we've just heard that there's going to be an additional safety report. But I mean, how many instances do you need? This is one that has got um, widespread coverage. There's been a number this year already of of similar incidences where people were pulled out of the water. And I think we really need to look at, whilst you're saying if you have a lifeguard on the beach, that um, it'll entice swimming. But if you don't, uh, you're relying on the public 
and relying like people like David, Michael and Antonio to be there, uh, to be lucky enough to be there to pull people out of the water. And I think that's an awful thing to ask a small community uh, to be there and be ready to rescue people in the water. There needs to be a unique ne- uh, mechanism looked at for Strandhill. The state is pumping millions of euros into Strandhill, into its tourism, into its Wild Atlantic Way offerings, into its surfing offerings. And this is a consequence of being more busy. We're enticing people to come to Strandhill and then we're telling people that it, you know, it's not safe to swim but we're only putting up signs. We're not following through. The signs are one issue. They're needed. They're part of a much wider approach that's needed to protect Strandhill. And the community out there feels so uh, passionate about this issue that back in 2017, they created the first surf rescue um, operation in the country because there was such a lack of safety in the area. And I think people like Roy Kilfeather and the local group of Strandhill people that led that development need to be commended because that equipment was there on site and ready to go which ultimately led to these people being saved because if the people who had to go and get their uh, surfboards from other locations it would have been too late what I'm led to believe is that this had, there was between 20 and 30 seconds left before we lost one of these young girls but um, we heard from Roger Sweeney earlier this morning and he touched on that mm-hmm. and he said that that was set up primarily to rescue fellow Sur- surfers. surfers. Like yeah. it shouldn't be used. There you go. It should not be used to rescue swimmers because they shouldn't be in the water. Yeah, there you go. But the, but the reality of it is if you have a busy location like Strandhill with beach with people coming into it, people being told to come visit Strandhill the Wild Atlantic Way and you're watching out and you're seeing surfing, Young kids, young teenagers, they're not looking at signs coming down the road. They're not looking at signs uh, flashing on... They're on their phones, they're on Instagram. Maybe, you know, there could be something that's done uh, a little bit more smarter in terms of marketing. But it's only part of the process. If you're going to have people in the water where we've got a history of people nearly drowning, like this was one example. This year alone, there's been a number of other examples uh, that haven't had such widespread coverage. And I think Strandhill needs to be seen as a unique case. It needs to be seen as, um, you know, a a place that's growing in in terms of popularity. And it needs, if the people down there are calling for a lifeguard, maybe this is the the safety audit is going to to say this, but there's so many access points into the beach. There's so many, uh, we've seen the situation with the beach warden. Um, and we've seen in other places where, where you know, largely the, the the beach warden is enforcing traffic bylaws. It's it's keeping the place clean. It's 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 about you know enforcing the bylaws there. They're not there to provide rescues. They're not there to jump into the water and save people. And that should not be left onto the community in Strandhill to come out and do that because we got lucky this time. We didn't get lucky in 1998 when th- those tragedies happened and I just mentioned as well like my own cousin there Vincent Reynolds and Neil Byrne if they weren't there on, on hand that day that would have been a fourth loss so it's going to happen again unless something is done and maybe the, the, the local community won't be on hand as quickly as they were that day with the equipment to provide the safety needed Well someone just uh, texted in and made the suggestion fines need to be given to those who go into the water there rescue teams lives are in danger by trying to save one and they say that the people who go into the water um, are very selfish. Absolute, I, I absolutely agree with them. And, you know, uh, fines, you're then into legalities and all the rest, but I would love to see something like that done. Um, it, you know, what do you do? You know, do you do you build a, a, a wall around to stop people? Do you put up a barbed wire fence? Mm-hmm. It's crazy stuff. Um, like, how do you stop? It isn't safe for a lifeguard to go into the water. And if you have a lifeguard, then you need two lifeguards, you need four lifeguards, you need eight lifeguards. We, we can't find enough lifeguards 
when when the council advertised it, they had to re-advertise it. They didn't even get enough applications. Um, it is very, very hard. They find it, they really have trouble manning the number of locations. Ross's Point and Enniscrone full time, Stregen on Morn at the is weekend. That, is that paying conditions then, as opposed to? It possibly is. And so, I was, I was so is the, the, the beach warden that was needed in Strangtail. <coughs> Nobody applied for it last mm. year. Well, no, then, I think we need to look at. We need uh, to look at. Yeah, and the council need to uh, look at the paying uh, condition that's on offer. Uh, if you can't, if you can't to get people in one way well then we need to look at something yeah. else but but it, how how many do you put no I understand you could have 50 you could have 50 lifeguards in Strand Hill and if you have hundreds of people going swimming those 50 lifeguards will be constantly pulling people out of the water you yeah. know it, it, so if you put a lifeguard on you are encouraging it you put a red flag up when a lifeguard is on a beach, people will still go in. So what's what is the answer? Like, I mean, we can't. We we we've had these situations happen. We know what the local community, who've been there on hand to do the rescues, are calling for. What is the solution? Just keep allowing it to happen. Keep wishing we get lucky. Or what? Do we just erect more signage? I mean, we yeah. can't allow this to pass without the calls yeah. to be met. Yeah. And I mean, try it. Let's get a. a, a, a a lifeguard down there. Let's try it. I mean, you lose nothing by trying something. And but at the end of the day... We, but we've already heard from, from Roger Sweeney this morning that that is more or less a non-runner. I, well, I, I, I disagree. And he I is disagree. the expert. I, 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 you know, I know that. you're local, but yeah, he's the expert. That. I understand we, that. We, we also have um, the head of Irish Water Safety saying that it's not, gonna, it's, it's not a good example. But don't come up on any, any other uh, suggestions. What is the alternative suggestion? Well, do, do, we, we just, do, like, do we put someone at every train station so standing at each end of the platform to stop yeah, people it's not, walking it's not, on the railway It's not happening on the railway. Do we put someone at every junction on the M50? They yeah. are walking on the yeah, M50 Yeah, no, no, I get that. But they're not. The, the frequencies of people walking on the railways and, and dangerous incidents occurring don't happen as often as they do in Strandhill. This year alone there's been a number of incidents that didn't get the same widespread coverage as this has and we're getting lucky every summer season in Strandhill. We can't continue to do the same thing and hope that something won't happen down the line. Three girls' lives were saved yeah. last week. We need to look at doing something a little bit better they, that's one expert opinion and I'm not disagreeing with it I'm only saying what the local community are saying that they need down there people who actually jumped in and got into the water with equipment that was actually made to save surfers and not made to save swimmers they need help they need support and they need uh, some sort of an, another option uh, than, than what's already there because they can't be held are reliable or to be asked to be reliable every single time that this happens it does that's have to saying. be looked at but I think we have to take the expert and we'll see what this audit if yeah. it brings anything up different to what Roger said this morning, but I don't think it will. And, you know, the the council, if they become an employer and send somebody to work in what is a dangerous situation, that that person is putting their life at risk, you can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. And they don't have, they they won't have the powers. This was discussed yesterday, that like the lifeguard wouldn't have the power to, you know, they can advise not to go into the water, but you can still plod on in any way, regardless. I think, look, at maybe there's big speakers needed out there blasting it out, get out of the water, constantly playing. That's not going to make it an attractive place to visit. We'll have complaints about that then. Mm. But if every time somebody goes in, you are endangering other people's lives who will have to go in to rescue you. Absolutely. We'll move on to uh, another issue that was raised um, this week. A lack of facilities here in the northwest in Donegal, Leitrim and Sligo. Um, for those holidaying in motorhomes, there was a lot of uh, controversy earlier in the week as it relates to that. And a cohort um, of people who use these motorhomes um, 
and um, like carrying out antisocial behaviour and giving the rest of the motorhome community a bad rep. Um, do you think, Councillor Donald Gilroy, that there should be, or there maybe that there are currently, um, inadequate facilities here in the northwest for motorhomes, and that's leading them to park illegally and so on? Uh, yes, I agree. There are inadequate facilities. Um, lots of suggestions have been made. Unfortunately, if 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 someone like a, a local authority tries to provide facilities, it suddenly becomes an engineering problem. It has to get planning permission. It yeah. has to have all these separate things. A lot of people are saying what we need is something like the uh, is it jeets they call them or something like Ayers, that in France. Ayers. In, in France, and they they um, where people it's li- literally just a gravel car park with with the shower block. Um, there's there's a there's a lot of things again like every group 90 95% mm-hmm. of the people who use motor homes are respectful and it's the same thing with swimmers 90 95% will heed the signs but there's a small few who insist on breaking the rules and that you know that shouldn't be allowed the the bylaws that were brought in a few years ago to be honest um i had problems with them when they were brought in they're not fit for purpose i was speaking to a guard yesterday who said you go out to ross's point you say to people you can't park here overnight and they say well we've we've drank a bottle of wine now we can't move the camper van <clears throat> what does the guard do what, yeah. what does the guard do now you know someone said issue fines and all the rest they're northern registered many of them they just yeah. they're not going to pay it, so it's 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 only the southern ones then that that end up paying the fines. So it's 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 not easy to sort out, um, and uh, maybe it's going to get to the stage where the, where clamps start going on them, and that's what's likely to to, to put it right. Blaine, your views on that? Um, again, I come back to the point that we're trying to promote tourism, mm-hmm. Wild Atlantic Way. So our tourists don't have any places to go in the hotels and uh, domestic tourists who are uh, renting caravans and, and camper vans, they now have no places to go around the country. Um, I think it comes down to facilities. I think, I know you, what you said about engineers and uh, planning and everything else, but, but let's do it. Let's let's increase our capacity, build it and they'll come. You know, if a tourist is visiting Sligo and, and the first thing they do is to find out that there's no space for them and when they park uh, somewhere up for the night when they're wanting to go into you know for a drink or a, for for something nice to eat after hearing about how amazing Sligo is for food and drink and their, their, their experience is that they're being told to move along or you can't park here they're not going to come back to Sligo and we're, we need that we need that money we need that investments uh, we need that money that tourists brings which is which is greatly lost now um this year, uh, more so than, than most years. Um, so I say, yeah, let's look at ways of building it. I know it's it's the easy cop-out for me to say that here, but I always get kind of a little bit frustrated by our lack of ambition to see beyond, you know, the balance sheet. And and airs aren't as expensive to build as full-on facilities like we have in Strandhill and Rosser Point, and fabulous facilities in Strandhill and Rosser Point. We're talking, largely airs are you know, gravel, gravel uh, uh, pits on uh, council land that are mm. serviced so that people can go in and get access to water and use the dumping facilities. The bare minimum facilities. It's the absolute yeah. bare, bare minimum. And if we if we don't have the ambition to see that that, that couldn't be uh, resolved very, very quickly, well then, you know, you just lose, you lose a bit of hope really. 
There was an, an argument made earlier this week too that while there are some facilities in place here in the northwest, that there's a certain cohort who simply just don't want to pay the money and they'll park up at the side of the road and they'll park illegally and cause disruption in, in a particular community. Well, that's true. And in Ross's point, we have the case where the the, the excellent site that, that Blaine referred to um, and nights when it's not full and yeah. there's camper vans all yeah. around the road. <clears throat> it's just, why should we pay but I think that's where your now, enforcement comes in on yeah. that, if, if that's the case. Yeah. We also have the situation where where do they empty their their um, wastewater? That's troubling. Yeah. And you know, uh, I I've seen cases where, and there's been a lot of complaints about portaloos being dirty and all the rest, mm. where people have emptied these things into a portaloo. Yeah. It it can't take them. Mm. One one camper van and that portaloo is out of our uh, action for twenty four hours. There was actually hours. a couple of um, comments came in earlier in the week too, particularly um, about Mulligmore. Yeah. And uh, a wastewater comment came in about um, about Mulligmore, and there is there does seem to be some issues as it relates yeah. to to camper vans in that particular well, area. I put forward a proposal uh, a number of years ago that, like when you think about it, we have wastewater facilities. Irish Water have wastewater facilities at nearly all of the resorts around Sligo and all of the tourist areas around Sligo, and each of those could have like a little sluice mm. where these people could empty their things just outside the gate goes straight into the pipe and it's it's serviced and it would it would literally cost maybe yeah, yeah. maybe two grand to put it to put yeah. it into place and that's it and it'll last for years okay there'll be a bit of vandalism and there'll be an annual repair or whatever just to make sure they're fixed up for the season but it's a very simple process you walk in you put you, you with your thing you pour it into it and you pull the handle to flush it it, it couldn't be simpler and, and why is that not in place then <sighs> Just there seems to be a kind of a oh that's somebody else's job to yeah. do, and and it, it is, you know, the councils no longer have control of Irish Water. Mm. You know, it used to be the councils that ran the wastewater treatment plants, but they don't anymore, and and that is a uh, that is an issue. Um, and uh, I, I think I'll be I'll be chasing that one up again with. Well, them, I remember it, the, it, the, the hassle. I remember the hassle. Um, there was a campaign to get just a small bit of drinking water. Um, available down in, in Strandhill mm. for, you know, people if they're passing, if they had a dog or maybe they want to just run their hands on the hassle to try and get a small little uh, b- bit of a public community in there. I think it went on for a number of years and when it eventually did come in anyway, it was dug up. Yeah. <laughs> so it was like, you know, what was the point? Yeah. How, how much would those, like, how much would that kind of a site cost to establish, you know, that kind of bare minimum site that is we're on about? It's, 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 look, it's hard to put a price on it and there's so many, um, look at the, and I, I don't want to be the one finding reasons not to, I, I believe it should be done and a way should be found to put them. Uh, I believe there was only, um, in the in the last development plan, I know in our area, there was only one site which was actually zoned as for tourism facilities. And the new yeah. draft development plan. So you, I hope even we'll have more no. of that. Well, <clears throat> the trouble was the site covered a number of acres. It was owned by four yeah. or five different people, yeah. and you know, one of them was interested in farming. Another one said, "Well, I don't want to be looking out my window of my house at 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 a camper at a at a, at a campsite." Um, you know, it wasn't in a particularly scenic place. It was near to the facilities, to the restaurants, the shops, the the pubs, things like that. But it wasn't in a particularly scenic. And these people say, oh, no, we want to have the sound of the beach when we're in the camper van. We want to have the sound of the waves. You know, you can't build your house. Everybody can't build beside the beach, you know, or yeah. we love Santa Panza. You know, it's... Uh, <laughs> it, it's Santa Sligo. Santa Sligo, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, Blaine, somebody text in. Ask Mr. Gaffney, is he running in the local elections next year for Fine Gael? Will you send that person my wife's number? And... Uh, <laughs> She might have a greater bit of wisdom than I. No, look, all jokes aside, um, I decided about six months ago, seven months ago, thank you so much, about six or seven months ago that, um, you know, I, I want to run again for election. I'm preparing that to be the case. Um, I ran a very, very strong local election last year. I feel very uh, confident that I'd be able to run a similar strong campaign this year. Um, but... To answer that things have changed, I, I've had a daughter now mm. that has taken um, an awful lot more of my time than I had before. My business, business in Sligo is an awful lot busier and I no longer work in the political uh, in this political space. I work for a company in Dublin. So the realities are that I'm not as free to make that decision as soon as I'd like. Um, a couple of things have to happen. My work have to say it's okay. I'm led to believe that that that, that will be the case. Um, my family have to say that it's okay and I'm working on them. <laughs> and finally, I have to make sure that the conditions that will happen during this next election will be fair. I ran an unfair election in the previous, uh, in 2019, where party headquarters funded uh, other candidates more than I, um, funded no funding whatsoever. So I'm making sure, and before I agree to run, that the next time it will be fair. And if I can get those three assurances, I'm pretty confident I'd be on the, on the on the ticket. Give it another go. Is there a chance you might run independent then? Absolutely not. Right. I am. I'm a free marketeer. I believe in low tax. I believe in the values of Fine Gael. And believe me when I tell you, um, there's an awful lot of people have asked me that same question. I might, I'm not from a Fine Gael background. I chose that party myself because it has it shares the, the values that I have, and it's a difficult thing at the minute being a member of Fine Gael and, and being in Fine Gael. But I feel I'm in it for the right reasons. I feel that if elected, I'd be able to, I suppose, do a lot of things that I would question uh, aren't being done right now. And I'd be confident um, in, in, in giving it another go and uh, getting across the line this time. But I'm hoping to make my decision finally around about December or January. Okay. And we'll see how it goes. Councillor Donald Gilroy, presumably you'll be throwing your... Yeah, I intend to. And uh, um, again, I, I, uh, I'm nominated for uh, the convention for Fianna Fáil. There's three of us nominated in the Sligo Drumcliff area um, to run for that. So the convention will probably have, be held in the next number of weeks before the, the what they call the summer break. Um, so... Look at Blaine, I suppose, I, I, and I said it to him coming out of the Count Centre back in 2019, he was exactly where I was in 2014, the one that just missed by a very short margin. Um, and it is hard on your first uh, excursion into politics if that happens. But I said to him that day, you learn more the day you lose than you'll ever learn the day you win. Um, I learned that day, I went off and I worked and I know Blaine has been involved in a lot of things over the last five years. Um, you have to be... Um, they're constantly pushing it, you know, and, um, you know, I, I take on board and I think I know what he's talking about with what happened within the party. <laughs> but uh, those things happen in every party and inside and outside. It's a dirty sport. Mm. It is the dirtiest sport there is. That's why everybody loves listening to your programme the day of the results. <laughs> uh, to see someone of a squirming and uh, trying to justify why things went wrong. And it's not easy. And I remember the time I lost in 2014 and 
um, Niall was looking for me to come down to do my interview and, you know, say my piece. And he was saying, we don't know where he's gone. We don't know where he's gone. Yeah. And a journalist from The Weekender, I think it was, had, had got me up and in, in, to one side, up in the clarion. And I was not fit to go on yeah, radio. Same. There was a lump in my throat. Mm. And though I knew for the previous 24 hours I wasn't going to get elected, mm. that announcement that you are eliminated is, yeah. <clears throat> you know, people and, you know, there's, Blaine said about his work, I know my work has suffered. I have clients who are listening to this this yeah. morning and saying, why the hell is he not at home doing the paperwork to get my job finished? Mm. Um, I've lost customers because of the distraction of being in the council. It, it costs me money every week. Mm. I definitely lose business every week. And it, so it, you, you do have to give a lot to be in it. And um, there are definitely times when it is, it, it, it's very fulfilling and you feel you've done something good for your community. Um, the big one coming up for us now this week is we'll be getting the draft county development plan for the next six years and I'm going to be, that's that's my main reason for being in politics is to try and improve that and I haven't had a chance yet. There's things like the, the Western Rail Corridor stroke Greenway where the public consultation is closing today. So I'm saying to people, if you have an opinion on that, get it in by four o'clock today, please get on the website. Okay, uh, we're out of time, but I just want to thank you both so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks for your listeners for listening to us. And, and the, bla- the, 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 the Donal and Blaine, uh, what is it, unplugged is, is over now, is it? <laughs> <laughs> so. Thank you very much. <laughs> Have a good weekend.